Welcome back to the same 24 hours podcast. This is coming to you from Atlanta, Georgia. I am back in the South. And if anything sounds differently, it's because I have a totally new uh, studio set up. <laughs> and it may take me a bit to get used to it. Um, and to, I'm sure there's a reverb. The ceiling here is much higher. So we'll see. But you know, I don't care about that. I just care about doing these interviews and bringing you podcasts that hopefully are enriching to you and your journey wherever you are. So very excited about being back home, being near family and continuing my journey. So today's guest could not have been more perfect timing for me personally. And I'll tell you why, because I have been struggling <laughs> and anyone that has been playing along at home with me for many years knows that struggle is my middle name. And I've been struggling with like, what do I do with my life? <laughs> you know, what do I do with this podcast? What do I do with um, everything? Like, what's next? What's next? Where do I go? How do I keep pressing forward? And part of what I'm learning is that now is not the time for that, that I have truly reached the point in my quote career and journey that I'm going to sit and I'm going to figure this stuff out. Um, continue working. Of course, I have clients and um, I do that. But there's there's a, a next step that I need to take and I don't know which direction it is. And I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> and so talking to my guest today, Amanda Crew, this was such a gift. She is exactly um, who I needed. You know, you meet people and you, you interact with people and timing is everything. Sometimes you're like, gosh, I really needed to meet this person today. And I know everything is not always about me, but today I felt like this interview with Amanda was a gift. I, I take it as a gift. It was a gift to me and I hope it will be a gift to you. I know it will for so many of you because many of you are on the same wavelength as I am a lot of times, it's sort of scary, actually. Um, but Amanda Crew, you probably know her from Silicon Valley. She played the female lead Monica in that HBO hit series. She was also in the movie The Age of Adeline, which I love, love, love that movie. Charlie St. Cloud, Final Destination 3, and She's the Man. She is married to Dustin Milligan from Schitt's Creek, who I interviewed a few episodes back. That's how we made the connection. After Dustin and I talked, he's like, you have to talk to my wife. <laughs> and so I did. And I'm glad I did because such a great interview. So Amanda, after recovering from her own eating disorder, became very passionate about helping others who struggle. Um, she helps them access the care that they deserve while also working to erase the stigma that keeps so many people suffering in silence. And we talk, we cover the gamut as so many interviews do, but I'm grateful for her so much today, more than <laughs> she'll ever know, um, as to what this, how life giving this interview was for me personally, but I know it will be for you as well. And I think the major takeaways from, the interview for me is sometimes we have to just sit in it. And I don't mean um, regret and guilt. I mean, in the present in the emotions, we have to be in our life and we have to be present and not running to food or alcohol or drugs or cutting or eating disorders or whatever um, escape we're looking for that sometimes sitting in it is exactly what we need to do. So I hope you enjoy this interview. You're like, no, I don't want to sit in it and I'm out of here. <laughs> I 
I'm not listening. Just kidding. We talk about kitties, puppies, and you have to stay tuned to the very end for a very exciting... No, I don't have anything at the very end. <laughs> but you should listen to this episode anyway, because if you're here, it's because you gain value from growth in a way that's unexpected, because that's what each episode of this podcast really does bring to me, I know personally, and to the audience. There's always something that we take away from the interview that isn't me. Like I'm just here facilitating it. Every guest brings their new perspective and I'm grateful, so grateful for each opportunity I have to speak with someone new. So today, Amanda Crew, and I hope you enjoy. Hi, and welcome to the same 24 hours podcast. I'm Meredith Atwood, author of the book, The Year of No Nonsense. I'm a former attorney turned writer, speaker, and Ironman triathlete. Although right now, all I really like to do is lift weights. We all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do in those hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. It's my goal to crack the code on a life of less nonsense so we can all make the most of our 24 hours. So let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I have Amanda Crew here today. Hi, Amanda. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So when we started talking, so you guys may know her from Silicon Valley. Yay. That's, that's when I first saw you. I was like, Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So everyone's like, Oh, oh who's that face? Yeah. 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 Um, so just to connect the dots from, and you've got other, you know, kudos too, but we'll, we'll start there. Um, and it was funny before we got started, I said, I don't really know you. We haven't talked before, but I feel like I can talk to you that I'm in like a dark night of the soul period. <laughs> And you were like, yeah, totally. So I don't know if we want to lead with that, but I mean, is it, what, what is it for you? This, is it the, the pandemic? Is it just the world right now? Like what is going on that I'm just, I'm tell me why I'm down. (laughs) No, like what is going on? Yeah. I, I like, I wish I could blame it on the pandemic, but mine started I'm coming up on five years that I feel like I've been in this and I feel like I'm not as much in the thick of it. Although I feel like there was a second coming with the pandemic that like, it's, it's like a wave, but it actually started for me on my 30th birthday. Like I just, I found myself (laughs) at this outdoor shopping center. It's beautiful. It was my birthday and I was sobbing hysterically on this grass turf. (laughs) (laughs) Um, just, and I didn't even know why I was crying. It was just coming out of me and it, and that wasn't the very beginning of it. It had been building, but that is kind of the moment I always think back to like, and then she began, um, a <laughs> lot of therapy, self-exploration and some, I, luckily someone had told me what a dark night of the soul was because it was at the beginning. So confusing for me because it just, I just felt an overwhelming sense of confusion, sadness, grief, anger, and nothing made sense anymore. Um, but I didn't, but it wasn't like triggered by anything. It just kind of started. Yeah. And it's, and I, I I felt like it was something deeper in me that was pulling me like, wake up. You got to like, start looking at some of these things that you've been avoiding and, uh, that there's, I don't know, there's this like genius mechanism 
in you that is like beyond what your mind understands. So it knew what it was doing, but I didn't understand for a while. And it took me a while to kind of figure it out. And it's been very confusing at times, but also, you know, it's like a healing journey. I feel like it's chapter two of my, my healing journey. Yeah. And it's interesting. You say nothing really triggered it. Cause I think the people I've talked to that kind of go through this process, it's to me, it seems like exhaustion or years of holding it. And I'm making air quotes for people listening, but making years of holding it together mm-hmm. of doing everything perfectly of achieving goal after goal, and then just being done with whatever goal or period or season. Like for me, it was getting through this second book I wrote and getting over the hump and realizing it wasn't a New York times bestseller and being pissed off about that. And then having to deal with it and like, well, what am I writing a book for? If it's not a New York times, bestseller, mm-hmm. you know, and, and moving on. So nothing triggered it, but it was just like, what's the point? What what's do I point? do now? Who am yeah. I? So was, that, do you think that was part of it? No, it was, I, I didn't realize it at the beginning, but it was basically like, you know, we were maybe five seasons into Silicon Valley, like all these dreams that I had as a younger girl wanting to be an actor in hall. Like I had achieved some form of these, like you're making the money, you have the bank account, you have the house, you have the partner, you have the career, you've gotten these jobs and I'm fucking depressed. (laughs) Um, And it's just like, what? And you kind of see further down the road, like if I keep chasing these same things, like it's empty. I, I'm, I, if I'm not getting it here, you know, you keep pushing yourself forward. Like, no, once I get this, then, then I'll be happy and then I'll feel fulfilled and then I'll feel worthy and deserving of love and all, all those things. And, but you realize that as you start to get your version of those things, but keep making excuses for like why it wasn't quite the thing. And that's why you're not happy. And you're just like, I'm this, I see down this road and it's not pretty. And, and then comes kind of the dismantling of everything. It's like, well, this is all I've known. This is all I've known to be true for myself. And if that's not true, then what is my truth? And so then you start like one by one, dismantling these beliefs, but you don't have anything new to root into. (laughs) So there was this period that was like so challenging for me where it's just like, I felt like I was floating, like, and not in a fun, Ooh, I'm floating. It was just like, (laughs) someone please give me a fucking anchor so I can ground (laughs) myself and root myself in something because nothing makes sense anymore. And I, I feel aimless and Um, and it, and I feel like now I'm in the part where I'm starting to, you know, I've, I've created those roots and anchors for myself and it's kind of been challenging and frustrating because I feel like I've never had a clear sense of those things now, but they're all internal, which is great because that means they're mine. I own them, but I'm like, okay, when does the external stuff start? Because I feel like I've just been in this void. And I was saying to you before we started recording, like, you know, do you have anything to propose? I'm like, no, I I'm heavily unemployed. And I have been since, you know, Silicon ended at, you know, the, the fall of 2019. And then we go into the pandemic and then it's, you know, 
uh, definitely not finding a job during that time. And then as things are starting to open up, but it's, it's just been really uncomfortable for me to not have work. And I think that's something else that's become clear to me was how much, um, that kind of, that was a coping mechanism for me to, to avoid myself was the striving, even just like if I'm not working, but the ambition and the pushing right. and, and all of that, which serves you in, in certain times. But I, I, I think that it kind of all shut down for me in this kind of divine way so that I really had to kind of sit in that uncomfortable place to, um, kind of touch down in myself. Yeah. You, you really hit on something sitting in the uncomfortable place. And that is, if I could say there is a truth and there is a thing that attaches to all the other things, it is that because like I had an instance this past and we can talk about food. I know that was one of the things we can talk about, but I told my husband, I said, do not let me go into the pantry this weekend. If you see me eating something that, you know, I would, my, my higher self does not want to eat, (laughs) take it from me. And he was like, I've done this before. I'm not doing it again. I was like, do it. And so he was in the kettle chips. Like that's his food like choice. Like if he could eat one thing, it would be kettle chips. And he, and I was like, I'm going to get some of those. And so like, I put my hand in it and he like slapped it away. He's like, stop it, stop it, stop it. And by the fifth time I was like, I don't want to feel this way. (laughs) And so I like stood in the kitchen and like threw this temper tantrum. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to feel this way. And that was, and I know that the way I eat is attached to the way I don't want to feel. I've known Mm -hmm. that for years. That's my MO binge eating. Like I don't want to be here. Right. But I have never felt it so divinely as clenching my fist, like a two-year-old and screaming. I don't want to feel this right now. I don't want to feel it. Give me the chips. And there was something about that moment that I thought this is the root of everything for me. I don't want to be where I'm at in these emotions. I would rather go to any of my assorted addictions mm-hmm. <laughs> that I've splattered across my world. Um, whether it's perfectionism, like that becomes an addiction for me, whether oh, yeah. it's, you know, food, booze, I'm sober, but that was for, you know, a period of time. So as a kid or growing up, I think we pick up addictions early Um, mine was approval of others, perfectionism, food. So is that, is that you too? Oh, all of those, all of those are me. And I, I have really, um, that's been a big, my tantrum is like, there's no vices left. Like I can't (laughs) numb this out. Cause I always like, I stopped drinking like two years ago. Um, and I like, I can't you know, resort to my eating disorder and I can't like, I can't drug, I can't drink, I can't right. starve, I can't over-exercise. And, and especially in the pandemic, I can't overachieve because there's nothing for me to achieve on. Yes. Um, there's, there's no job to go to, there's no auditions. There's, and I really have like cut myself off from, uh, and it sounds so counter to what our culture says, but like, I actively during the pandemic was like, you are not allowed to create a project to do. Nice. That is my other coping device. It's just like, oh, I'll do this thing. And there's nothing wrong with having creative projects, but I knew where it was coming from for me. And so there was just really nothing left 
except to just navel gaze. And I was <laughs> done with navel gazing and I was right. done with the therapy and the self-help books and all of that. And it was just so frustrating because I did like, I had nothing to numb me out except for Bravo TV. And that was the one thing that I think it's Glennon Doyle that says, that, like, I have like no vices left. And so you, you will never take Bravo away from me. <laughs> um, but that's like, all I had left was Bravo. Um, yeah. and, uh, so it's, it's, it's been excruciating. <laughs> yeah. And that's so funny. You mentioned your list of vices because I talked to Amy Dresner years ago on the podcast and she has a book about being, she was a heavy addict and we went into this diatribe that I said, you know, I have, I was in my kitchen one day, I had no vices and I've never been a cutter. And I was like, well, I'll just start cutting. And she and I laughed about that. And then people were sending me concerned emails and my mom was like, that's not funny. And I'm like, but it is to someone who is going down their vice list. And there's like, there's nothing left. I'll start cutting, yeah. <laughs> you know, because yeah, that's when you have the a, insanity. <laughs> yes. And when you have a history of addiction and, and numbing and vice and all, and we all have our version of it, but when you like hit some of those like higher versions of it, uh, you have to have a sense. I have such a sense of humor about my eating disorder because that has been a healing tool for me. And that's not, you know, for everyone. Um, but for me, it's how, um, I can make light of it. Otherwise I will just still feel shame and punish myself for having had that history. So I totally get the sense of humor about yeah. it. Yeah. So stuff. let's talk about that. Let's talk about your eating disorder. What did that look like for you? When, when did you become aware of it? When did it start and how, and let, let's just walk through that. Yeah. I, you know, I have a history of sexual trauma, my, you know, uh, childhood and, uh, later on in life. Um, I think most women do, uh, to some, right. some degree. Um, and I, uh, looking back, I'm like, oh, there were seeds of this in high school, but it wasn't until I moved to Los Angeles that, uh, it really started to kind of fester. And there's so many different things that kind of came together at once to make it fester, which, um, I'm now grateful for because like, thank God it exploded. Um, but it, you know, it was, uh, I didn't know how to, what, like what we're talking about. I did not know how to sit with myself. I had no tools for that. And so I was just trying to do anything to avoid that dark stuff over there that happened and how it made me feel about myself and the people pleasing, wanting to be a good girl, successful, all of that stuff made me feel good. Um, and so when I got to LA, you know, in Vancouver, where I grew up and started my career acting, I had built, you know, a reputation. All the casting directors knew me, but coming to LA, it's like, no one knew me, no one cared about me. And then you start looking around, you're like, well, why is that girl booking? And why is that girl booking? And this is the you know, the height of Kate Moss and Nicole Richie, Paris Hilton, you like us weekly covers of like, they're so skinny. And I'm like, that's the thing. <laughs> that's what I need. Yeah. Um, and so I really um, started restricting more and more. And you get uh, obviously like a dopamine hit from each time you hit a higher level of restriction. Um, and then I was also addicted to working out, um, and would just work out. I had like 
a calendar on my computer of just like what workouts I did each day. And there was not a single day off, oftentimes working out twice a day. I look back and I'm like, I have no idea. Like now I'm just like, I can't even run for 10 minutes anymore. I used to like (laughs) sprint for like an hour. I must've looked like a psycho, like just this like frail, (laughs) supremely underweight, undernourished girl, just like sprinting so manically on the, the treadmill. And I like, I had like nothing in my body. Like I go on an empty stomach and do, I have no idea how I did that, but I think you just get into a mindset of just like, like you're, you're chasing a drug. Um, and, uh, and so it all came to a boiling point when I was hiking, running, you know, (laughs) running uphill, downhill, (laughs) uh, and I tripped and obviously didn't have like, it's like your brain's slower, your body's slower. And I ended up falling and cracking my knee and, um, similar to what we we're talking about before, it's like this divine intervention where I, so I, you know, I broke my knee. I'm in this like leg brace. I can't work out. I can't work. I was supposed to start like this movie and I was forced to sit with myself. And it was, it's crazy when I look back, like, I'm so grateful for it. Like something intervened. It was just like, you need to sit. And it was the first time in that sitting that I could actually see physically what I had done to myself and also what my life was. Like, I was just like, you don't even remember your day. You Mm. like, you don't feel pain, but you also don't feel joy. You are so numb. Um, and who are these people in your life? And what are these choices? Why are you smoking cigarettes? I was a vegan who smoked cigarettes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so that was kind of, you know, the turning point for me. And of course it wasn't an overnight. It was so hard to let go of this thing that although it was killing me, it also gave me great comfort. And it was like my best friend. It was the only thing I could rely on it was it's what made me feel safe and so to let go of that was really hard and it's kind of like you know a rope it's like thread by thread by thread and so it's like I didn't let go of the working out at first that it was like okay I'm not going to restrict as much um and I really did it on my own which I also think is insane and is not something that I (laughs) necessarily promote um but it is to say that there are different ways and to trust kind of like where you're at and I knew that if I I could barely admit it to myself that I had an eating disorder I couldn't even say it I just knew like this is bad and this is uh dangerous um but it was just kind of piece by piece and I didn't go to therapy for like years after, but it was just kind of that slow, um, step backwards from it. Yeah. Well, you, you raise an interesting point. Cause like I got sober on my own, like just, you know, cold Turkey quit. And it was like three years later, I thought, Oh shit, I'm actually not very sober at all. I just quit drinking. And it's, and it sounds like that too, with you, Mm -hmm. it's like, you stop the thing and then the reason that you did the thing in the first place comes up. It's like, yeah, oh, I'm just kidding. This is actually why you drank like that. And it's like, oh, so now, you know, and, and that, and it's trauma, right? It usually is some sort of mm-hmm. trauma that we're trying to not sit with. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's, it's, uh, I, 
I really believed that like I had beat this thing and like I was done with it. And I do think, you know, you, you heal a certain amount, like I could heal the, the surface level stuff. Um, but I do think that that was what the beginning of the dark night of the soul was for me, like on my 30th birthday, it was like, okay, so you've gotten to like a stable place. Now it's time. Like you are now strong enough to go to the basement of your soul (laughs) and like, look at the stuff that you've been pushing down for, you know, some of this stuff for, for like most of my, my life. And I, you know, I wish therapy was available to everyone. Um, I wish that we could all afford it. And I, you know, I always acknowledge that it's, it was such a privilege that, that I had the privilege to afford it. And also the time. Um, cause I went, I committed to, it was like every two weeks and we, it was like two and a half hour sessions. Um, wow. cause the therapist I worked with really like to kind of have more space and then time for you to kind of metabolize what we had talked about for a couple of weeks. Um, and I, that's like all I did for a couple of years was just therapy and, um, and, you know, I was working on Silicon. So I had that stability of like, I know I have that job, but I wasn't really doing other stuff in between and just a lot of, um, deep, deep work, deep work. Right. Um, so to the eating disorder thing, I want to circle back to that. Um, I tried, and this is, you know, this, I'll probably put a warning on this episode because any yeah, of you yeah. listening, it just, <laughs> we've covered a bunch of triggers already. So sorry if we're warning you late, but you know, I, I was always a, a chubby kid and food was my choice. And I tried to not eat. Like I, tr- I was, a, I couldn't not eat and, and I could never figure it out. Like, why can't I be an anorexic? I just want to be an anorexic. I just want to do that. I couldn't do it. Like, And so then the weird, like psychotic, (laughs) like leap I made from that is you can't even do this right. Like you can't even be a good Mm -hmm. anorexic. And, but then when I look back on why this was the age and fortune Feimster talks about it in in her comedy show, like she and I are long lost sisters (laughs) because she's like, I grew up in the time of snatching when people kidnapped children and I was taught to be totally terrified that you were going to get snatched as a kid. Like you're going to be walking down the road. Don't ever walk behind a van. And so I realized that part of the reason is being bigger is still equated as safety for me. And you mentioned the word safe. And so as much as I work out and try to be fit and I always want to do this bodybuilding show, there's like a fundamental part of me that does not want a man to, or a beast or anyone, or a really large woman to be able to come pick me up and take me somewhere. And so like, when I watch a movie and a dude like picks up a girl and carries her, I'm like, good thing you can't pick me up. (laughs) Or, I mean, it's this fundamental safety thing. And so when I came to terms with like, oh, I'm actually bigger because I feel safer where with, you know, anorexia or other disorders, it's control, right? I feel safer because I'm controlling this. Mm-hmm. Um, we can connect that. I don't know. That really helped me to be like, oh, this actually isn't about the food. <laughs> yeah. No, it's same when I could connect the dots. to like, you're saying like the control that made me feel safe. Um, that was how I was able to release a lot of shame around it. Yeah. And because I had the shame of like, oh my God, I'm this classic, like actress who's obsessed with being skinny like how 
how much more cliche could you get? Um, but then when I could connect the dots to like why I was doing that, then I could have compassion for yeah. it. And that has been, you know, I'm no longer ashamed of this and can talk openly about it and have a sense of humor about it, but also have like a lot of compassion and like the same to, to yours, just like, what a little fucking genius we were, you know, like, <laughs> like that we like crafted that kind of safety mechanism. And I think especially for women or people who identify as, as, as female, like it's the older I get, the more I see like how, how this like society works and like yeah. suppresses women. And it's like, you, once you see it, you can't unsee it. And then you just see more and more. It's like, no shit. I was trying to feel safe and could not right. feel safe. You know, the other day I was like setting an alarm on my phone and my husband, I go to bed really early. So he tucks me in oh. um, like I'm a child and I was setting an alarm on my phone and I had all these like, you know, alarms there. Um, and one of them was saved and it was like some fucking affirmation that I had set like an alarm each day to remind myself I'm great. And I was like, and I was joking to him. I was like, oh, my affirmation. And I was thinking about how I'm just like, I bet you, you mister have never had to set an alarm to remind yourself you're great. And that's because the world affirms for men that they're great. You know, they don't have to fight against that, but women daily have to fight against yeah. the suppression that we feel. And what's so much more of a mind fuck is that it's not so overt and obvious. It's so micro and it's like in the air. You can't, you can't see it. You can't point to it, but you can feel it, but yeah. there's no name and language for it. And I think that as I've gotten older and um, read more about, you know, feminist literature and, and stuff like that. It's just like, it's helped me so much more. Like you're saying, connecting the dots on your, your food and the body size safety thing. It's just like, when we have the language for some of this stuff, it helps, it doesn't make it go away, but, uh, it helps you understand it a bit more. And that like, uh, Chanel Miller, uh, wrote a book called know my name she was the victim in the Brock Turner rape case at, I think it was Stanford. And, um, that book, I just read it like, you know, eight months ago and it changed everything for me with my sexual trauma because she is a genius writer. <laughs> uh, she gave such great language to what happens to you as a sexual assault victim and the, the, insidious ways that it just kind of takes over your brain and affects how you show up in the world and how you think about yourself. And that, that like just blew me wide open. <laughs> yeah. And you, you raise a good point about it, this whole culture, the patriarchy and the way we perceive ourselves about it just being in the air. And I think about when I drive home to Savannah, Georgia, when you hit a certain place on I-16, you start to smell the paper mill and mm. a paper mill smells like a big fart. <laughs> and you're like, oh, we're here. But then after 10 minutes, you no longer smell it. It's still there. You're oh still God. swimming around and fart. You don't know it until you leave and come back to it. And so I think a lot of this journey is is kind of leaving and coming back into situations. And so for like, with me, I've lost like 30 pounds 
two years ago. And then I'm back up right now. And it's like me leaving that body and back into this and seeing what was going on in my life during this transition back to a slightly larger version of myself. And it's all connected. <laughs> it's like, this is, and, and so when I talk to my clients, I'm like, this is not, it's never about the food. Like we think no. it is, it's never about the food. It's, never. it's about safety. It's about um, comfort and, and joy. And the, the joy is often the thing that's completely been missing. There's, there's just none of it. <laughs> that has been the thing I've been trying to focus on the most right now is because I've realized that that has never been my focus is joy. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like success and achieving and accomplishing very male, you know, uh. I like, you know, it's just like, I feel like that has been kind of pounded into my brain. And it's just like, you know, guys don't talk about, I'm talking very stereotypical. Yeah. We're, know. it's fine. We're doing it now, <laughs> but, like, but like, they don't talk about like joy as much. It's just like crushing it. <laughs> just like I, all these kind of like aggressive words, nailing it, smashed it, like all of that. And, and, and then now like, that's who I, I was like in my career of just like wanting to book it and get it and all that stuff. And, but there was never any focus on like joy and, and receiving, whoa, that's a tough one for me. Yeah. And that is part of joy, you know, and, and cause I am such a giver and it does give me joy to give to, to my friends and not just even in gifts, but just of my heart and my soul. But I really realized that I was putting up a wall, um, in receiving and that that is something that, you know, I was denying myself because obviously I didn't feel worthy of it yeah. or didn't feel safe. Um, because maybe in the past, there's been times where I have opened myself up and, you know, that's like sexual trauma. Like, it's just sure. like I trusted you. I loved you. <laughs> and then you did this thing to me. Right. Um, but, but really that, you know, the joy and, and receiving, which I think are the same, um, of the same branch. It's like, those have been the things that I've been really, uh, focusing on, which sounds so like great. And like, Oh, I wish that was my goal. And it's like, it's hard. <laughs> I know and this is like the timeout of every episode. Like, well, we acknowledge our privilege and we acknowledge like, yes, but we're finding joy still fucking hard. <laughs> like, yes, yes, yes. And also, you know, yes, everything can exist in this box of privilege and hard and, you know, the comparison, like we're comparing, comparing traumas or comparing, but yes, finding joy is hard. And I've, I think a lot of times we look to find joy in places that are so big when I had to like bring it down to what do I actually like to do? I like to draw on paper. <laughs> I like to put in my music and draw on paper and doodle. And I was like, holy shit, I get so much joy from drawing. I, I'm so glad you brought that back because that's what I was thinking when, you know, the, when you were talking earlier, it's like, I, I also am not talking about joy in these like grandiose things. Like I, during quarantine, I've never walked around my neighborhood. Like it's just like, it's LA, you don't walk anywhere. <laughs> and, but the gyms are closed, everything's closed. And I started this ritual of every morning, just putting in um, my headphones, putting on the music or a podcast and walking for like an hour in my neighborhood. And it's something that I, it's my like morning meditation. Like I love it so 
much and and seeing the neighborhood and how people's houses like oh they're they're trees are like I'm I'm turning into my dad I'm like oh look how the clouds are changing but it is it's so beautiful and I I'm starting to understand why people like meditate on nature and and earth it's like it shows us how over seasons things change and that's a beautiful thing and I resist change so much because it feels scary but like if we didn't have change, then we wouldn't have, you know, see the trees, their leaves turn orange and then the leaves fall and then it regrows and rebirth. It's like, it's such a beautiful metaphor for life, but we're so, you know, locked into our, our phones that we forget that, you know, (laughs) it's out there. (laughs) Right. Right. And I think too, it's dissociating from the present, like like going back to, I don't want to feel, and, you know, Mm -hmm. even when things are are good. There's a sense that even if you're present and you're really feeling it, there's the truth that we will die one day. (laughs) This will be gone. People Mm -hmm. we love will be gone. Like there's, you know, and so at every level there's fear or there can be fear and presence, fear and feeling the emotion of each moment. And so even seeing nature, you're you're like, oh, this is so beautiful. Well, it's going to fucking die in the fall. (laughs) Like, I don't even want to look at the flowers. I wanted to leave. <laughs> I wanted to leave. Um, so how have you seen that sort of transition in your life? Like in this journey of trying to get out of the dark night of the soul, like the, the fear of losing things, the fear of, of loss, of, of moving on. I don't know if this is the answer to that, but it came up when you're talking. So I'll, I'll share it anyways. I like this only happened recently, but it just is a moment that I'm like, whoa, you need to like, hold on to this. My dogs are losing their mind in the other room. So I apologize for screaming because my dog sounds like it's screaming. Um, But it was, it was only a couple months ago. I started seeing an acupuncturist uh, again, privilege. uh, And cause I was just feeling like there was energy was stuck in my body. And he's just been so, so helpful in like this part of the journey with like the body work stuff. And he had done, uh, some trauma one on me and the next day, and I felt so good. And then the next day I just started sobbing again, like, like, just like the dark soul, like for no reason, I'm just sobbing. And it just felt so terrifying. And I'm like, why am I crying? Like, I hate this. I don't want to feel this. And I texted him and I was just like, is this like what, what's supposed to be happening? Because I, this is not what I wanted. Like, why, like, why do I feel like this? And he said, I feel like you, you have a lot of grief and it's just coming up and it just, it just wants to be held. It just wants to be felt. And that's it. And I don't know why, but that was like, he just opened this door for me where I was like, oh, I don't have to try and fix it. I don't have to try and figure out what it is. I just have to hold it and like, just let it be, which sounds so simple, but I think it was the right timing in my journey. I'm such a fixer. I always want to know what the problem is, how to fix it, because that's my way of getting out of it. That's my way to not have to feel it. I can then just fix it. You, if you tell me anything like, oh, you have that problem. If you do this, it'll be fixed. I will do it to a T. I don't care how hard it is. I will do it. I will 
bulldoze my way through it. (laughs) And that has served me for so long until it didn't, because it is another avoidance of feeling it. And so just this idea of like holding the grief, just like sitting with it, not trying to figure it out, not trying to fix it, but just letting it wash over you. And then it just freaking flows away. Like it, it, it was insane. It was just the most beautiful experience because, um, I really saw the power of it and, and kind of the mechanism of the body. Like there's something that chemically happens too. And, you know, it's happened a few times since, and I've just been like, there's this, you know, reaction that you want to like fix it, figure it out or numb it or whatever, but just allowing it to wash over me. And then it passes so quickly. And I'm not saying that works every time it's really hard to do still for me, but I think there's something in that, that will bleed out into like all aspects of life for me. Um, because that is, you know, what we're talking about of like, just sitting in like touching down in yourself, being okay with how things are right now. And that's the same thing I felt with the chips over the weekend and being throwing my temper tantrum. I was like, and then it was gone. Yeah. And I thought, wait, so for 41 years, I've been stuffing food in that hole (laughs) and I just had to go, I don't want to feel this. Like that's, you know, that's the antidote to it. Are you kidding me? But like my husband has said, we've been married, uh, she'll be 20 years and he has this little tagline for me, which is Meredith Atwood forcing her way through life since 1979, oh because God. it's this like, oh, well, we're just going to go right through this problem. And then here comes my dad this past weekend to visit. And I'm like, oh, I see. <laughs> I see. Like, here's this man that I haven't seen in like 15 months because of the pandemic. And you know, he's forcing his way through room to room of the house and like just the energy, the energy is very forceful and masculine. And I definitely took on my dad's energy growing up. Mm -hmm. Like I wanted to be like my daddy, I was a daddy's girl, take me hunting, shoot guns, you know, it's very masculine, which has served me well to a point, right. Until Mm -hmm. then the insanity starts and there's just no room for anything else. And so for like taking that moment <laughs> of force and sitting instead is kind of what I've been doing the last three days. And I freaking hate it. I am miserable. Like today I'm so miserable. Like I can't even do anything, but shake my hands and say, I'm miserable. <laughs> like what? <laughs> like, but like, and, and that's the thing is like, that's not celebrated in our society of like, no. you know, like, Oh wow. Look at you just sitting in it. It's just like, no, <laughs> fix it. And that's again, like our, our society, our culture, patriarchy, capitalism, like all of that really has this kind of, you know, strong bulldoze, you know, it's, it's really rewarded. Um, yeah. And I've really struggled with kind of, even I've been grappling with like, what does success mean to me? What, like, what is like, what is that outside of what I've been programmed to believe it is. And it's been so hard for me the past couple of years where I remember at the end of 2019, everyone's posting like their accomplishments for the year, you know, like, which is a beautiful thing. Like we should celebrate our accomplishments and everything. And I was like, I could never take a photo of this year because that was the year that I really like did a lot of the therapy was finally starting to transform into like the internal change. 
And I was like, you, I can't take a photo of it yet. It's the, like something I'm the most proud of, of what I've done this year, but like, is not something that would be celebrated. And in fact, sometimes my honesty and vulnerability with some of that stuff makes people very uncomfortable. Yes. You know, like we want, we just want to hear about like the person who like booked the job or like got like the, the raise or the book deal or whatever. Like that's like easy to be like, good for you. It's just like, I, um, reckoned with my sexual trauma and rape, um, and have done a lot of healing with that. And people are like, Oh, right. It's oh like, gosh. and I even struggle with it too. I posted, you know, a couple of weeks ago about my sexual trauma history on Instagram. And it was like, I could not, like, I was just like, do not post another photo after, like, you just let it sit there. But like, there was a while there where I was just like, it's just out there. It's just, just sitting there. And I, and then I eventually did like post something. Cause I was just like, I just need it to not be the first thing on the grid. <laughs> right. Right. And that's how I feel about my book. So like my, my book, the year of no nonsense, it has like a lighthearted tone but it's not like there's the yeah. spoiler alert. Um, and so like, you know, it's out in the world. And so every once in a while, it's like, I have this moment, like, shit, it's still out there and it's never going anywhere. Right. And it's this, <laughs> I did it and I'm glad I did. And you know, I had this fear when I published it, like, Oh God, I'm going to be really sorry. I did this one day because it is so vulnerable and it is so honest. And it's not the thing that people, I think, a lot of people bought the book and they thought, oh, I'm going to have like the best year ever, which it was published in December, 2019, <laughs> right before 2020. So there's the joke too, um, not lost on me, but this whole sense that when you are vulnerable, when you are honest and it's not this go getter, like fix your life, fix your, you know, we did it. And it just sits out there mm-hmm. that you're like, well, now I've really shat the bed because I'm just laying in it and everyone can see me and and that's where I'm at. I think like coming off that book and coming off that vulnerable vulnerability where the post is still out there, like you said, and it's just sitting, but that's true. Like of all the things I've done and of all the things you've gone through and done and accomplished, what's more true. Yeah. That's, that's my deepest yeah. truth. And like, I, like, I love truth. That's like who I, I like, I've always been someone who's sought out truth, truth in me, truth in others. I love, like, I recognize truth in another person. And that's like what, like I crave that's being a human being, but we've just been so, you know, conditioned out of it. And that's, you know, the uncomfortableness in it. Do you, I'm sure you're familiar with Brene Brown. Yes. Yeah. But like her Ted talk on vulnerability, like from 2012, like that, that is all like, you know, and she's talking about how like after it goes viral and like, just kind of like, well, I'm just going to hole up in my basement with my, my popcorn. And she's like, and I, so, you know, on one side you're looking at, you're like, oh my God, though, like it's been so well received. You're so quote unquote successful. And like millions of people have seen this. And yet she still experienced that kind of vulnerability hangover, hangover. Yeah. Um, that is so so real. But I also think that, you know, I'm sure it's, there's a version of it that's the same for you. But for me, posting about my sexual trauma, it felt like it was, there was something in me that, that did that, that was like beyond my mind. That was just like, you have to do this to yeah. release this. 
to release the shame from this. Cause that's what I did with my eating disorder too, was it, it, it was kind of like this piece that was missing where I needed to kind of release it. And that was, you know, that's the artist in me. And that's just like how I creatively have released it, but it, but it did feel like that. And it's still, um, you know, has ripple effect feelings, um, post posting it where I'm just like, should I post that? And, you know, like, oh my God, no one's going to hire me anymore. You're like archive. (laughs) (laughs) They won't remember. Right. (laughs) Right. Um, but it is, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's power in sharing our stories because there's so many women who've shared their stories that have had deep, profound healing effect on, on me, like I was saying before, like bringing language to the experience of, especially of being a woman. Um, I think that if I can have a small part in that by sharing some of my stuff, um, and it helping one person, I know that's so cliche, but it's so true. Like that, that makes it worth it for me. It does. And I think about that too, you know, a lot of, and it's hard not to get your ego involved and like, how does this make me look like, what if I just look like an idiot or, and I think it, the reality for me was when I was 12 weeks sober, this was like 2016 mm-hmm. and I posted on back when people had blogs, I guess people still blog. <laughs> I don't know. I barely do, but I posted on my blog about it. And then I went out for a run and I thought, well, that was stupid. And, you know, like it was like an out and back run and two miles out. I was like, that was dumb. I better get back. Like ran my, you know, a negative split two mile getting back. And when I got back, my inbox was full and it was full of, you're so brave for doing this. Thank you for doing this. I'm eight, you're sober. If you need support. And it was like, oh, wait a minute. So this is what it actually is. Mm -hmm. This whole social media, this is the point. The point is to share this, to let other people know that you're out there with your messed upness so they can be like, oh yeah, me too. And this is how the world gets better. (laughs) Like it just was this moment like, oh, I get it now. And so I always, and I don't post as much about as deep as stuff anymore. I just kind of like have taken that quietly. I don't know. You just go through phases, Yeah, but I do think, (laughs) I know, I know, but like, even like you probably saw on my Instagram, I had a tummy tuck, right? I did that for me. I wanted to do it for me. I did it because, and I told everyone about it. Well, it was so surprising to me. I knew I would get negative stuff. I did. Um, but it was surprising to me, the people that messaged me and said, Oh, I've had this done too. And I could never tell anyone. Mm. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like you don't have to tell anyone everything, but the shame associated with just wanting to get your mom belly moved back to where it was prior, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the shame around that, the shame damned around if you do, damn if you don't, it's, it's, it's like it's, people don't want you to look this way, but we don't want to look at that belly. But if you get it fixed, you're an idiot. Like, whoa. <laughs> but ah, isn't isn't that so much like, you know, on a broader scale, like the female experience not uh, to keep talking about <laughs> about it but like right. it is it's just kind of like it, these boxes that were put in and then uh like and and women wanting to put other women in boxes and i'm yeah. guilty of that too i've done it so much judging other people then comparing myself to people like she's amazing she's it's just like what like that again is like being indoctrinated with the the patriarchy like it's just like it's it's in 
all of us. And it's, I, that's the stuff that I'm still like working on. It's like, I don't like having that reaction because like, I don't right. want people to, to put me in a box. So why am I putting her in, in a box? And so I commend you for, uh, putting it out there. Um, because of course, like there's going to be such a mixed reaction right. to opening yourself up to that. But I think it also signals to so many women of just like, I'm doing what's best for me. And whether someone's considering doing that or not, just the idea of a woman doing what's best for her is such a, a liberating thing to, to witness. Right. Um, and when women liberate themselves, then other women can liberate themselves. Yeah. And one of the things I talked about, like with the tummy tuck is the one, the, like the tipping point for me was I was at CrossFit and I was doing burpees and every time my belly hit the floor, cause it was so loose, it would go like, blah, 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 blah. like I would hear this like jiggle sound. And I was like, this is taking up too much headspace. I've got to mm-hmm. do something about this. And I was at CrossFit this week and we had double unders. I was jumping rope and I was like, oh my gosh, I don't hear anything, wow. <laughs> Nothing is, you know? And And it was just this moment like, oh, that was a big weight lifted literally and figuratively. And there's so much that we carry that we Mm -hmm. don't tend to um, because we're scared of how it will be received from other people. And this was a decision, you know, wherever you fall in the plastics or like whatever, it was a decision that that freed up like (laughs) 12% of my headspace to now put things like snacks in. (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, but it's interesting how when we share that people will come with their judgments or with their, you know, agreement and all it is, is a, it's a reflection of what we feel. And so that's what I'm learning when I'm like, oh, that bitch done that. I'm like, oh, what in me is being set off by that jealousy, jealousy. I'm just jealous. I'm just jealous. She looks so good. The end. I I had a similar experience, um, of not similar, but my own version of that is like, I like a couple of years ago found myself having such strong reactions to, especially like actresses posting like selfies and like their glamorous life. And I'm like, or like gym selfies and not like, you know, like the super like filtered, all of that stuff. And like this voice coming in my head of just like, who the fuck does she think she is? You know, like, <laughs> and like you said, like, I really was just like, okay, what is suppressed in you that yeah. you are having such a strong reaction to whatever her intention is like, what, like, what is it bringing out in you? And it, to me, it was just like that. I didn't feel like I was allowed to take up space in whatever mm. form oh, it looked wow. like for me. And, and that was like a big one. And it still, it still comes up. Um, and I think social media is a very complicated platform where it's, it's, it does not leave any room for nuance, but like, it, it is something that I still constantly have to check in on. Like, where am I suppressing myself? Where am I telling myself I'm not allowed to the not allowed to is a big voice for me. Like I'm not allowed to do that. Or I like, she's allowed to do that, but I'm not allowed to do that. Or like, must be nice. That's another one where you're just like, (laughs) right. What's that about? Um, And so you're right. Like it is a great opportunity to check in with yourself because it always comes back to, to you. If you're having a reaction to someone else, it's something in you that you denied yourself, suppressed, or told yourself you're not allowed to. Yeah. And like, for me, it's always around, it's always around social media, but it's around a lot of 
um, people with followers because I know they've bought them. And, and I, and <laughs> how dare I you? I've, I've told this before. Like, here's the secret to tell if someone bought all their followers. And here, Aaron Blow and everyone, you go into their followers and you scroll deep. You may have to go a ways, but there'll be a stretch of like crazy names that are completely uh, like in another language. If And there they are, they bought them. <laughs> Those aren't real people. Those are, you know, and so I see that. And then I see, I think I talked to your husband about this. They get a blue check mark on Instagram. Instagram will not give me a blue check mark to save my life. I got two published books. I've got a successful podcast. They won't give me one, but the people that bought their hundred thousand followers have. <laughs> and so that's where I go. I'm like, oh, do I need, well, I can't go buy. A... Yes, I can. I can get off this podcast right now and go buy a hundred thousand mm-hmm. followers, but I stand on my principles. And so, you know, to follow that thought train to where it leads is very telling. Like, oh, you really got an ego problem. <laughs> Shit. You know? Um... Yeah. Well, and, it's, and I mean, to even go deeper, it's like, what do I think? that a blue check mark brings me, you know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff. Like I had that stuff in my career, you know? Yeah. It's just like, then I'm suddenly a valuable, worthy person because I have a blue check mark or these many followers or whatever. Then I'm suddenly legitimate where nothing has changed. Nothing Nothing. about your talent, what you bring, anything has changed. But the only thing that's changed is that you've got that externally you've been approved and validated by the Instagram gods. And And that's the universe joke. That is my spiritual lesson, right? Like I'm sitting in it right now that that is the big joke. You're not going to be approved until you learn the lesson. It doesn't matter. Oh my God. When you learn it, the Instagram will be like, oh, we're so sorry. We forgot you. (laughs) Yeah. My, my void of my career right now, I know is about like, like you have to be like, you have to think you're amazing without getting yeah. the, the job or the paycheck or whatever. Like you need to feel that truly and authentically within yourself before, because otherwise none of this is going to mean anything because you're going to constantly be in that cycle of like, I'm not good enough. They gave me the thing. I must be amazing, but it didn't make me feel good enough. So right. now we'll go after this. Thing. <laughs> it's right. like, it's an empty cycle. Um, and so it's, it's hard to learn these lessons and it takes time to like integrate it. But what I've seen for myself is that like, it has been worth it. My anxiety has gone down so much more like the depressed, like all of it. It's just like, it's so much more, um, calm. And then when it comes up, it doesn't seem like the scary beast anymore. It's just like, Oh, you're back. (laughs) You again. Oh, hello. Oh, hello. Oh, hello. Yeah. And for me, when like, I'm like, Oh, hello. It's like, okay, don't go eat. (laughs) Don't go eat. It's not a party. Cause it used to be like, Oh, it's a party. We should drink. You know, there's no party when the depression comes, like you don't need to serve it. You, you know, you just need to sit with it. No fun with it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, Amanda. See, I knew we would be friends. Like, I just, I don't know. We got so much in common. So tell me what is next and not in a triggering way, but what are you (laughs) not like? So now I'm triggered. So now I'm triggered. So (laughs) bye. But like, you know, we're both in a dark night of the soul right now. Mm -hmm. Um, for me, if you were to be like, what is next? Like, what are you doing next week? Um, I have cleared my calendar. I, I like took lots of stuff off 
and I'm forbidding myself to make any major life decisions until the kids start school in the fall. And I'm like, the oh, fall? I love you're going to take yeah. three months off. You know, t- everything in me is like three months to do nothing. And I'm not going to not do anything. I understand. But to not create a project and to mm-hmm. not start a new book, <laughs> like whatever, like I'll just be sitting here and, and all of a sudden oh I launched a program. Like that's how I am. So when I ask you what's next for you, like, what are you doing for your mental health in this dark night of the soul? That's, that's what I mean by what's next. Well, first of all, I'm so excited for you because like, I, clearly your intuition is guiding you to that. And that has been something that like, I've discovered is like, whoa, there's this mechanism in me that like knows what I need. If I just like get out of the way and stop trying to tell it. And so the, like you doing this scary thing of like creating this open void for yourself is terrifying, but also so exciting. Cause it's just like, what, like something's going to fill that, like, you know what I mean? And, and maybe it's nothing tangible on the external, but internally something will fill that. Like there's some, some, you can't go through that and not be unchanged. Yeah. Um, and like kudos to you to honoring, um, whatever told you to create that space for yourself, because that is something that you can trust. Um, and I do think that, uh, the trust element has been like the biggest, uh, thing for me to expand on because I've never been able to trust myself. And it's Mm -hmm. been all about, you know, seeking the external validation. Like they must know what's best for me. Um, and so tuning all of that out, like good for you. Um, and as far as, as for me, I kind of feel like it's like a little bit of the same in that I don't know what's coming up for me. Um, but I do feel like, I know this sounds like crazy, but like, usually when I meditate, like I get a visual of like a baby, like the head's coming out, like, and that's how I feel. Like, it's just like, I'm coming, I'm coming out. Like I'm being birthed. It's, it's time, (laughs) but I don't know like what I'm being birthed into. Mm. Um, and, and, and what's there, but instead of my old mechanism of trying to create the place that I land in, I'm trying to open myself up to, you know, the mystery of, of what that will be. And that trusting that if I get out of the way, it could probably be even greater than anything that I tried to force it to be. And that to me feels like terrifying, but also exciting and beautiful. And I love magic. So like bring on the magic. (laughs) And let me tell you like how insane my desire to do and to achieve is when you said, um, forcing and that word like came up and then me forcing my way through life. I was like, we could do a podcast forcing it with Amanda and Mary. And I'm like, Oh my God, we're literally talking about letting it go. And I'm like, we would have a great project, you know, that, but that's, that's what I have to like, like, I have like the f- come and flow. That is me. And I always have this memory of me. Like, I think I was like 26 and I was really just struggling with my controlling mechanism. And I went on this like feverish Google search of like, 
and I have this piece of paper titled how to let go. And I bullet pointed like all of these, like how to let go. And then like at the end, like get out of like this, like, I don't know, two hour Google search, just sweating and like feverish. And just like looking at this piece of paper of like how to let go. And I just like crossed it all out. And I was like, this is not it. (laughs) This is not how you let go. Here's my chart. Here's my spreadsheet of letting go. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. Yeah. That's good. uh, (laughs) I have not reached spreadsheet status for letting go, but I, I can, I'm just haven't yet. I think we, thanks uh, for putting that in my head. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Amanda, thank you so much. Thank you. This was such a lovely conversation. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the same 24 hours. Remember to rate, review, and share this podcast. It really matters. I appreciate it. See you next time.